Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson, and you're listening to Double Read Dish. A podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. field increasingly needs us to be more creative, more innovative, and more effective, a career in music can be approached in a lot of different ways. In our bonus episode series, Mavericks, we bring you the voices of some of the Double Read community's biggest trailblazers, each forging their musical path in their own unique way. For our second Mavericks episode, we welcome oboists Emily Tsai and bassoonist Carol Amore, members of the Woodwind Quintet Wind Sync. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hello. Happy to be here. I thought to start, it would be great if you both told us a little bit about yourselves individually. Um, sure. I'll, I guess I'll start. This is Emily. Um, I have been an oboe player since I was in fifth grade. I started on the violin though when I was, um, four years old. So that's how I got into music. Um, and then I joined WinSync. This is my, the end of my second season. Uh, so it's been a great two years so far. Uh, besides that, I went to, Karen and I actually went to undergrad together at the Eastman School of Music. And then I did my master's at the University of Maryland when they had, where they had this, um, graduate fellowship quintet program. And I was in the very first, um, group that did that fellowship program at Maryland. Cool. Hi, I'm Kara Lamore and I'm the bassoonist. I started bassoon in sixth grade in my public school band program, so it's funny that I'm here visiting my parents for the weekend, um, right where I started learning bassoon in the first place. I went to undergrad with Emily, as she mentioned, and then my master's degree is from Northwestern, and I've done some playing in Chicago and among other places. And I also recently held a faculty position at the University of Missouri, before moving down to Texas to join WinSync this past season. Could you each tell us a little bit about WinSync uh, as a concept and how you approach uh, your chamber music making and general artistic philosophy and that type of thing? So WinSync is, you know, the standard instrumentation, wind quintet, and so this ensemble does have a tradition going back centuries, essentially, to those orchestral principles. And so we're lucky in that way to have a big repertoire that we can draw from. But as many double read players who go through college and do a music major know, the sort of chestnuts of the repertoire are actually quite limited. There's sort of this rotating repertoire of about 10 pieces that you all know and your chamber coach knows and you go through each year and see oh my oboist hasn't played this piece yet okay let's do that one again (laughs) that sort of thing Mm -hmm. so WinSync has also done a lot of work in arranging orchestral repertoire and it can be big or small but usually the pieces that are selected have really excellent woodwind parts already that can be adapted so, for example, this season we did a suite from Pulcinella, which just has, like, incredible woodwind parts that are orchestral excerpts for us, so that's kind of fun. And we also did a suite from Prokofius, Romeo, and Juliet. And so that's a, a typical sort of 
thing that WinSync does to add to the repertoire. And that's in addition to our work doing commissions and trying to do sort of fun and interesting arrangements outside of that as well. Um, when we perform, we perform standing and without music stands. Our recitals are fully memorized, and so it makes it much more interactive. And really, the point of that is that we need to form a bond with our audience as quickly as possible because we're generally touring. So these are people who we've never met before, people who don't necessarily know our group. And when you remove that music stand, you kind of remove a barrier between the performer and the audience, and they can more quickly be drawn in sort of on this emotional level into our performance, and that makes it really special. So the members of WinSync don't live in the same place. Um, and as you said, you perform memorized. And how do you navigate that as a group? Because it seems, first of all, memorizing an entire program seems really challenging. And then also um, understanding everyone else's part at the same time is a separate challenge. So how do you guys navigate that in your rehearsals? Um, sure. Uh, that's a great question that we get a lot um, whenever we go around and travel Um, Yeah, we do all live in different places. Currently, three of us live um, in Houston, Kara's being one of those, and two of us live in the D.C. area. So um, we basically approach music by, well, we pick our repertoire. We only pick repertoire that we are inspired by. And because we do so many arrangements, um, it's awesome that we have basically any piece is open to us. And so memorizing those pieces that we already really like or we are very familiar with is actually not as difficult as people might think. I um, I feel like especially a lot of wind players are, are very shy when it comes to memorizing things because because we just don't do it, um, and unlike like pianists or string players who do memorize. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of doing it, and once you do it, it's actually – it comes much more easily the next time. And each of us has our different techniques of um, memorizing. Like for me, I do a lot of memorizing by listening. Um, I'm a very aural uh, person. And so I just listen to recordings of the orchestra part or if it is a standard quintet piece, like of a, of a quintet. Um, and that just really like gets my path set, I guess, because I can also hear other people's parts and then relate my part to their part. Um, and so everybody does their own preparation um, uh, work. I know that our clarinetist likes to add, like, map it out with numbers, like, okay, I play this this many times, and then I have this many rests, and then, you know, and he counts them out in his head. <laughs> so, um, so when we do come together to rehearse, which can be kind of limited because we all, we do live in separate places, but we always get to a, a tour a day or two beforehand to really rehearse and um, do things as a group. But since we do so much prep work on our own, because we do have to memorize these pieces, it actually comes together pretty quickly. So if my understanding is correct, um, WinSync has been in existence longer than the um, time that the two of you have been in it. 
So I'm curious as to um, how you found your way into this ensemble and then um, I guess the experience of the group dynamic of a chamber group and kind of being the new kid on the block, uh, joining a pre-existing group. What is that like? So it's funny how I joined the group because um, I actually didn't uh, know anybody in the group previously. And the only connection I had was that their previous oboist, her name is Erin Tsai, so we had the same last name, and she went to Eastman. Um, she graduated right before I got there, so we missed each other, and so I never met her, um, but for some reason, like, oh, well, I guess I, got, I kept getting her mail, um, Eastman, and people kept calling me Erin. <laughs> I guess, who is this? Aris, and so I uh, found her on Facebook, and I was like, we need to be friends because I have a lot of your mail. Um, so anyway, uh, so she was in this group, and then whenever she was trying to help the group find a new oboist, for some reason she just thought of me, probably because of this weird random relationship we have, and um, that's how I was introduced to the group. So that's just like... <laughs> So they actually told me because I had the same, such a similar name that um, it was not a point in my favor when I auditioned. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, but that's like how Instinct finds new members is that we don't hold a broad audition. Um, we want to like have connections, although my connection is kind of weird, but we want to have personal connections um, to know the people that we're going to be working with. So um, I went through an interview process, and then I was invited to come and audition. Um, and then with for Kara, I guess she can tell you how you know we found her too is through personal connections and and such. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It, it was a similar thing where there was an interview round um, with two of the longtime members before my audition happened. So before I even played a note, we had kind of talked about what Winsync is and, and maybe like what kind of a role they were hoping for me to fill. Um, for me, yeah, the initial contact was a Facebook message from Emily. So things are kind of casual in Winsync. <laughs> but being the new kid on the block, um, both Emily and I had our debuts with Winsync at this annual residency that Winsync does. We're an ensemble in residence at the Chamber Music Festival of Lexington, Kentucky. And it's a really interesting festival where they have many different kinds of concerts and a lot of pop-ups in public spaces, um, in addition to some educational work and, and main stage concerts. So we had to learn all the different programs, all for day one on the job. And I just remember it being very stressful. I remember playing the orchestral recordings really loud in the living room and trying to play along and memorize every last measure of every last piece. Um, the great thing about that festival, the Lexington Chamber Music Festival, is that um, although there are, like, so many different types of concerts that we do, like we did a main stage concert, we did um, pop-ups, we did educational concerts for, for um, students as well. So there's a whole bunch of repertoire that goes into that. But the great thing about it is that it was very casual and like a pop-up is going to be like 20 minutes of music. 
So it's like 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. And then near the end of that week that we're there was the big main stage concert. And so then we at least have had a week of really intense, just like pop-ups here that we could really um, get used to playing without music. Um, Cause I know that was like a huge thing for me is that I, I used to memorize music because I used to play violin, but then I kind of stopped once I went to college cause I, majored in oboe so I hadn't memorized music in a very long time and so doing it in little chunks actually really helped me get ready for the big concert uh the big long one um I don't know if Kara you felt the same way yeah that's true um going back to the arranging do you all arrange pieces um yeah that's a great question um we get asked that a lot um currently (laughs) Kara has kind of um volunteered (laughs) to do a lot of our arranging, which is awesome. Um, And before, it was mostly one person, um, but we all kind of contribute if we feel inspired to do a piece. Um, So before Kara joined, it was mostly our our old clarinetist, Jack Marquardt, and he was, um, you know, this amazing arranger. So, um, and he was very inspired to do all that. Um, and then when I joined, I contributed a little bit as well. Um, and then now that Kara is in the group, she is very, very inspired to put together these programs. And I'm still helping um, out. Kara's kind of like, oh, I don't want to do this one. So, Emily, can you do it? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a team effort. But whoever does the arranging, like, it's basically just the, the skeleton of the piece. And when we bring it to the group, Oftentimes, the group, you know, uh, edits it and, you know, changes it up a little bit to more fit their instruments because, obviously, everybody knows their own instrument best. Um, So it's like a group effort. It's really fun. Well, and it's not like I'm giving Emily the scraps. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, Emily, the big arrangement she did this year was our... Prokofiev, Romeo, and Juliet, and she's done a few arrangements of just massive orchestral works, which I actually feel a little less comfortable with. So that's where Emily's helping me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but it's like it's all like fun. Like if when Kara came to me and said, "Do you want to do this this one piece?" and it's a piece that I absolutely love, so it's definitely not a scrap. It's like <laughs> I actually really love, and I would be happy to arrange. So. <laughs> Um, what are the challenges of arranging such a huge orchestra piece for a woodwind quintet? How do you do that? Um, it's, um, well, it's actually not too bad. It's, it's very time consuming. But once, like Kara said before, we um, tend to choose pieces that do have prominent wind parts. So honestly, what I do is I just, go to the wind parts first. I look at what the composer has done with them because that's the kind of sound he wants or she wants. And so um, that kind of gives me a basis of like, oh, what instrument should be playing what part? Um, And then the other other thing that I do is that there are definite like, I need to have a bass line here, which automatically goes to either the horn or the bassoon. So that's really easy to put down. And once you have that, then you can start building your chord up with the inner voices. Um, 
So it's just, it's, it's a very logical, for me at least, it's very logical. Like I need this part and it needs to be in this instrument. And then I look at what the composers wanted it, um, for timbre. And then I was like, okay, well then that instrument's going to have the melody, um, for a certain part. So, um, and it's a lot of like, I, I use a lot of piano reductions as well as a full score. So I can see which parts are, I can leave out. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm Tara can probably uh, extrapolate on that, though. Yeah, sure. I mean, when you're a student and you're in a chamber coaching, your chamber coach always says something along the lines of, oh, chamber music is so important because it teaches you how to play anything. Like, if you can be a chamber musician, you can be an orchestral musician. And it it really actually comes into relief for me when I'm doing arranging because – what I'll often do is I'll just go ahead and copy down the woodwind parts from the score first and then, like, basically edit around that to create the arrangement. So the woodwind parts always sort of pop out in relief to me as I'm doing my listening and um, working on filling in the gaps of an arrangement. And it does actually translate to when I'm sitting in an orchestra you know, on the rare chance that I have. And um, I do hear the woodwinds as more of a woodwind quintet sort of texture now. So, yeah, I mean, arranging from an orchestral score is, I mean, it's basically uh, just adding string parts in the gaps. It's not too bad. And the occasional frustrating brass parts that you have to change. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that I noticed WinSync frequently engages in is concerts for um, underserved uh, audiences, as you call them. And so I'm interested in what type of activities you guys um, pursue in that regard and uh, how you approach that and why it's important for you to do. Yeah, well, something that's really fresh on our minds this week is um, our residency that we have this year in Opelousas, Louisiana. And I think it kind of illustrates that kind of work that we do. So what we're doing in Louisiana is called the Sound Places Program. And it's a pilot program. So it's brand new, actually. And it was started by Chamber Music America in collaboration with the Project for Public Spaces, which is a New York-based organization. And there's some grant support from the National Endowment for the Arts among other, excuse me, other funders. But the idea is that chamber music can be used to help the placemaking movement. And placemaking is basically just a buzzword right now. But it's all about getting people out into their communities or, um, activating a space that people wouldn't have otherwise thought to activate and adding people there and adding some life to it. So, I mean, the word outreach is a troublesome one because it sort of implies that um, you, the arts organization, are just like invading someone's space in a way. You're reaching out. Um, But that's essentially what it is. Um, In this case, though, you're looking to the community to see what it needs So in January, we went to Opelousas, and the community members were invited 
to a brainstorming session and they ran around the town and they made maps and they were looking for spaces where a chamber music group could perform or where an event could happen that music could be used at. And we took that information from the community. What were they needing? What were they wanting? And uh, we ended up performing concerts based on the results of that workshop this past weekend. So, like, we ended up performing at a little market that was set up in the courthouse square of the town. We ended up performing between these two buildings in kind of this abandoned lot. But they ended up using it as sort of a flex pop-up business space, and that was kind of cool. And then we were performing at a historic site as well. Um, so w- when you use the word underserved to describe an audience, I mean, we're basically just talking about audiences who may want or need some sort of artistic, um, you know, some the arts in their lives and uh, that they're not being reached by the traditional setup, either of a regional orchestra or whatever it is. Um, so we're kind of there because we are uber flexible and we don't really need any equipment and we really can just kind of show up on your street corner and perform a concert. We're there to kind of, um, pick up where the, where the system left off in a way. That's great. Um, part of the Maverick series is highlighting people who are doing things outside of um, orchestral playing in academia, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, why the wind quintet and, or chamber music in general is great for that, and perhaps even some of the challenges that you've found in being a non-traditional musician. Okay, so some of the some of the real challenges that um, that any musician faces. Um, especially when they're young and they, you know, are going through conservatory or music school, is that your school only really prepares you, uh, I mean, a lot of schools focus in on just preparing you for, to be an orchestral musician or a educator at a university or college. And um, some schools offer some, you know, other outside classes of entrepreneurship or chamber music. It, uh, they offer chamber music, of course. but like. That's not really a focus. So upon graduating um, school, I felt like I didn't really have a lot of the tools uh, needed to start something on my own. Um, and I'm not exactly that kind of personality either. <laughs> so it made it doubly hard for me. So like some of the things that WinSync has been doing is that you have, I had to learn how to be a lot more proactive. I had to learn how to, um, kind of sell myself to total strangers and that's always really scary um to do asking for money is always um something that's a challenge to anybody um but knowing that you're doing it for such a good cause uh kind of counters that and like if you really believe in what you're doing it makes it a lot better and easier to do um other things are just like you know, financially, it's not as stable. Like it, it fluctuates. It's, it's un. You don't know necessarily. Like you don't have like this countless five-year contract that you would sign with an orchestra, for example. 
Um, but that's also a risk that you take because for me, I found that I really enjoyed playing chamber music, maybe even more than playing an orchestra now. And it's just something that I'm very passionate about. So like money then becomes not as big of an issue, although it can be very um, daunting to somebody who's just starting and graduated from a school. Um, I don't know if Carrie want to jump in on here. Well, sure. Um, you're talking about the income thing. Um, it, that's really difficult because you do have to figure out like where the next paycheck comes from, where the next gig comes from, what the next program is. You have to figure all those things out. But then that's also the blessing, I think, where you get to rely on yourself instead of on an orchestra board, for example, or uh, a state legislature deciding whether or not to fund your university music program or whatever it is. Those are no longer concerns because it's all in your hands. So if you're a control freak, this is a great career choice, actually. <laughs> like Galit said, a lot of what we want to do with the Maverick series is for students and for those students who find themselves graduating without a orchestra position, without a faculty position, when they have been told by their education, those are the two things you do. So, Kara, specifically, I would be interested in your perspective on this type of thing as someone who had previously been in academia, who elected to leave it. You know, for a lot of us, um, getting a faculty position is like an ultimate goal and, and something that you shoot for. And uh, as someone who said, hey, maybe I would prefer to do something else, or uh, how did you feel in, empowered to pursue a career that fit you and your goals best? Well, I I think that teaching is, was, and always will be a really important part of my musical life. And I also am kind of skeptical of this idea that just because there are full-time jobs and part-time jobs and just simply gigs in the music world, that you necessarily have to view your career as fitting into one of those boxes. I really do think that a career is made up of just a, a perpetually rotating variety of those kinds of activities. Um, but yeah, for, for right now in my life, I did feel like pursuing some of these passion project type elements of my career was really important. And I was lucky because I already for almost 10 years now have been working on the Breaking Winds Bassoon Quartet, which is, you know, another self-started chamber ensemble that's been a really important part of my career so far. So at least I had some experience in that realm and I had the tools of, um, you know, just knowledge that came from experience starting my own group in the past. So to join WinSync, I already had ideas of how I wanted to function in that ensemble and where I thought that ensemble was headed. Um, I had been a longtime fan, and I felt very comfortable with what they had built and what they did. Um, so for me to leave my position it felt okay. Um, I sort of had this feeling of 
like yellow and <laughs> and I'm I'm not like fresh out of college, but I am young enough that I feel like I'm still building my career. So I wanted to make sure I was using the building blocks that I felt the most excited about. Um, for the students out there who are listening and feeling inspired by um, what you're saying about chamber music and possibilities and entrepreneurship, um, but perhaps they maybe have one class available to them on entrepreneurship or perhaps nothing, um, what are some things that you would recommend they start doing or thinking about or researching if they want to um, expand the options for their careers in the future? For me, it, it's good to start simple because baby steps, you know. I think that if they have an idea, even if it's just an idea of something they might like, um, I would just recommend action. I think a lot of people have an idea and it passes, but any any simple action can put you on that path toward learning and, of course, toward making the mistakes that you have to make in order to become better, too. Um, so I, I think it's a matter of simply emailing that one composer you've always wanted to work with or, I don't know, emailing the dancer you've always wanted to collaborate with or, or whatever that would be for you. Just a really simple piece of action sets you down that path. And then the other thing is I think a lot of people are um, sort of when they're in school, they're sort of moving through a path that they think is going to please their teachers, which is great because their teachers are smart and they should listen to their professors for sure. But they should also be thinking about what is authentically them. Like, what kind of music do they really actually like? Like, maybe you just love Haydn and that's amazing. So why don't you start working on your project of learning all the Haydn symphonies or whatever it is? Um, being really comfortable with your own authentic musicianship, your own artistic preferences, I think is really important as well. Um, yeah, just to add on to what Kara said about taking action, um, you as a student are in a prime position to do so many things. And once you get out of school, a lot of those um, options are a lot harder to do. For example, like when Kara's talking about collaborating, you know, you have all your friends and um, everything your school has to offer. You have the concert hall there. You've got, you know, recital spaces. You've got rehearsal spaces. You've got mentors. Um, and so it's kind of like this is the best time <laughs> to do these big projects or little projects that you've always wanted to do or you can even discover that you do want to do. Um, so a personal example for me is that when I was at Eastman, um, for my uh, senior recital, I kind of wanted to do a lot more um, collaborative things than solo things. <laughs> and I was inspired to perform a concerto by Corgliano, and it didn't seem right to just have a pianist. So I kind of went crazy and got you know, a 40-piece orchestra to come and play with me. Whoa. And, and they were all my – I actually – it was very strategic because um, all throughout my time at Eastman, I 
like I mentioned, I also played violin. So a lot of the times um, when people were putting on recitals, they need string players to accompany them. So I would I played on a lot of people's recitals on violin. And I was like, hey, you remember that time, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so I ended up um, getting a whole bunch of people to come and play this concerto with me. And um, one of the DMA conductor students conducted. And I even went to the school to get um, extra funding to rent the orchestra parts. And then also take a lesson with the oboist for whom the concerto was written. Um, and the school had, had you, you just need to seek out these things. It's like students don't even know about them. But if you look for it, oftentimes schools have funding for projects that students want to do. So Eastman helped pay for my lesson and travel to this, um, to the oboist um, that Corgiliano wrote the concerto for. And I had, a, you know, an amazing lesson. And it was just this whole big project. And so the school environment is such a great environment to do these baby steps, these first things that you want to do. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, go put a 40-piece orchestra together, but, like, go collaborate with all these people, especially if you have, you know, multimedia. That's awesome. That If a school has a dance program, it has, a you know, a visual art program, uh, all those things you can collaborate with because it gets way harder once you leave your school. Um, and then... Uh, I would just grab that opportunity right away. <laughs> so I'd love to hear from each of you about a favorite or fond memory that you have performing with WinSync. They're all fond. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> they're, no, they're all terrible. <laughs> um, I think that one of my most uh, um, exciting times with WinSync was um, when we did the uh, – fish-off competition, and this was actually before Kara joined, but, like, we, it was my first year with Winsync, and it was very memorable. I wouldn't say fond necessarily because it was so stressful, um, but it was, like, a real, like, bonding, like, this is, we are here to play our hearts out together and to really sell what we have, um, and we want to represent who Winsync is and not try and please any um, standard or any uh, any of the judges necessarily. We just wanted to showcase who we were. So the fish-off competition, um, this was uh, 2015, wait, 16. <laughs> it, was it was last year. Um, in May, um, the five of us were kind of, you know, when we were choosing our rep, uh, I was the only new member at that point. The other four had been in the group for a while, and they decided to throw Maslanka 3 on there. And I had not previously played that piece, and we had not previously been performing it during our season. Um, but the other four, like, they've had such a relationship with this piece um, that they're like, we feel really confident, you know, that this piece could, you know, make it for us because um, they had been playing that piece for years. And so I had to really learn it, like, really quick um, and memorize it. And it was really stressful. But the other four were so encouraging and, like, as much of the, as much work as I put into that, memorizing Maslanka 3, like, I really couldn't have done it without the support of the other guys. And they were, like, really encouraging and 
um, very patient with me as I learned this. And then at the competition, we just kind of threw caution to the wind and, you know, played our hearts out um, and doing very unusual, unconventional things like playing bolero with a snare drum, you know, which when when groups don't do that. <laughs> so, like, it was a really great experience to just kind of culminate my first year with the group and knowing, like, for me personally, I can do something ridiculously hard if I put my mind to it and have the right colleagues to support me. And then in the end, we ended up winning the gold medal, which is awesome. Um, but just kind of that, the five of us kind of huddled in our hotel room, like, <laughs> out, you know, for days, for three days. It was, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite concert memory from Winsync is when Emily ignored the instructions from the stagehand and the curtain fell on her. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that was just really funny. Um, so an actual memorable concert is probably from the concerto that Winsink commissioned uh, from Michael Gilbertson, a composer in New York. We played it with the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra in the fall. And... The second movement opens with this pretty intense, very Hollywood-sounding bassoon solo. <laughs> and I loved soaking up the moment. And also, since I was new to Houston, it was just a really cool, warm welcome to, to Houston. And Rocco, the orchestra, sounded pretty magical. That was my favorite concert, I think. And Kara sounded on point. <laughs> It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kara and Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun to talk to you. Um, where can our listeners find you on the Internet? Um, they can find us on – we have our website at winsync.org, um, and we're on all sorts of social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, I think. Yes. Yeah, we're on Snapchat, too, so. <laughs> Our handle is at Winsync for basically everything. Come find us. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. This has been so inspiring. We just can't wait to share it with our listeners. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thank you.